My friends, today we reflect, we pray on the opening verses of Mark's gospel. And anyone who has spent a significant time really praying with, meditating on Mark's gospel, the shortest of the gospels, you can almost feel Mark's excitement jumping off the page. Mark jams into a few verses what took Matthew and Luke many chapters to say. His excitement does really leap off the page. In the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the beginning. An echo of those opening words of the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. What's happening here is important. Uh, how the scriptures we began says a lot about who God is, but also how we relate to him. It says much about who we are in the beginning. Whereas Genesis spoke of God creating the whole world out of nothing, Mark speaks of a new beginning in which God recreates us in Christ through grace, in which God creates a new heaven and a new earth. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The gospel, which of course means good news. In fact, it is the best news ever. You know, Old Testament prophets, especially Isaiah, spoke of the good news in reference to a future promise, a promise that God would come to save his people. But today, Mark speaks of it as a present reality, a reality that God has come and has saved his people. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. You know, the very name Jesus means God saves. And Christ, of course, is not his last name, right? It means anointed. He's the Messiah, the long-awaited one, the fulfillment of all our hopes, fulfillment of the hopes of Israel. You know, as Pope St. John Paul the Great said, Jesus Christ is the answer to the question posed by every human life. This, my friends, is terrific news. It's news that invites us to contemplate the gift, to uh, to contemplate and to generously use this Advent, the season of hope, to better appreciate the gift, to meditate on the reality that God became flesh and dwelt among us, that this reality fulfills and far surpasses the wildest dreams of the human person, the deepest longings of the human heart and mind. God became flesh and dwelt among us, oftentimes translated as made his dwelling among us, but nonetheless, it speaks of it in the past tense. You know, I was at uh, someone's house for dinner recently, I went to the restroom, I was washing my hands, and they had uh, this little chalkboard, and they wrote, and dwells among us, in the present tense. I thought that was just so obviously true, and so importantly true, that God does dwell among us in the present sense, right here, in this holy mass in four ways. 
most especially, of course, in the most blessed sacrament in the tabernacle right now, in a few minutes on this altar and his word, his presence, in the people of God, he is present, and in your priest, he is present here and now. This is awesome. And this good news, my friends, uh, well, there are many, many parallels in today's gospel in our lives. Mark reminds us that this good news was not out of the blue, that the Father had planned and prepared for this for centuries. In fact, really from the beginning of time. And so too with us. From the beginning of time, he had this moment in mind that you and I would be here in the heart of Reston at the 11 o'clock mass, sitting in the pews, standing up here, doing exactly what we are doing. He had this moment in mind from the beginning of time. It is really mind-blowing when we think about it. Mark quotes from Isaiah in the first reading, the beginning of what is known as the Book of Consolation, because it is filled with words of hope and comfort for the chosen people of Israel who are suffering through this Babylonian exile. John the Baptist fulfills Isaiah's prophecy. He is that voice of one crying out in the desert. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight his paths. God wants to come into our hearts and minds too. He desires deeply to comfort, to comfort his people. And we ought to prepare that highway for him to come quickly into our hearts and minds. You know, when great kings in the ancient times would want to go and tour their kingdom, he would send out a, uh, a great big team of construction workers. They would prepare a highway for him to travel on. No sharp turns where scary people might be hiding, no deep valleys which would be difficult to uh, go, no rough roads. Some mountains would be brought low and valleys would be filled in. This is what John the Baptist is heralding, but for the king of kings, the exile was coming to an end. And he's calling us to prepare a way for the Lord to come into our hearts, or rather, for allowing him to prepare his way. Jesus prepares the way. Jesus removes all obstacles. Jesus does make straight a highway in the wasteland. He did, of course, lower himself from his heavenly mountaintop. He came down from heaven to fill every valley with himself. Jesus makes the rugged land and the rough country of our uh, country roads of our difficult lives sometimes into fruitful plains and broad valleys. He's asking us to lower ourselves in humility. He wants to fill in the valleys of depression and self-doubt. You know, it's not an accident that John the Baptist appeared in the desert. The desert is a place of loneliness. The desert is a place where one is deprived of the comforts of this world. The desert is a place of suffering. And for the Jews, it was also a reminder of a place of testing, where their ancestors wandered for 40 years, complaining and rebelling, but also 
where they experience the mercy and patience of God, where they learn to rely upon him, to allow him to guide them. Of course, like us, they never learned that lesson completely. And so in the centuries that followed, the prophets often recalled this time of wandering the desert. They were reminded, they recalled this time as an intimate time of encounter that foreshadows the promise of a time of true peace and comfort. Jews were no longer, of course, in exile when the Baptists called them back into the desert, but they were dominated by the Roman occupying forces. He called Israel to repentance. We get this Greek word, metanoia. He was calling them to a change of mind. And this message hardly seems comforting. Yet so beautifully, it was met by many with a spiritual hunger and thirst. Hundreds of thousands of men, women, and children came out. They tried, you know, they came out to meet John the Baptist. They had tried life in their own way for so long. Now the time of spiritual laziness, self-sufficiency would end as John the Baptist called them to embrace peace and joy in the divine person of Jesus Christ. My friends, there is so much in these first words of Mark's gospel. There's so much being revealed in the person of John the Baptist. John's clothing was the same as Elijah's. He is the new Elijah. The locusts were a symbol of freedom. Recall that plague of locusts, which uh, helped them to eventually be freed in Egypt. Wild honey, a reminder of the promise. The promise of the promised land flowing with milk and honey. John the Baptist called them, to the, uh, called them to the Jordan River, a place rich with historical significance to the Jewish people. So many years before their ancestors had entered the promised land by crossing the Jordan on dry land. Led, of course, by Joshua, which means Jesus. John called the Jews to re-embrace their identity as the chosen people, to go back into the desert with God once more and re-enter the true promised land, not on dry, barren land, but through the life-giving waters of baptism, a new exodus, not from Pharaoh as they were slaved in Egypt, but from their slavery to sin. My friends, we too are being called to embrace our identities. Our identity, our core identity, is Jesus Christ. All of us, our beloved sons or daughters of the Heavenly Father, we are all chosen by him. John the Baptist understood who he was. He understood his mission. He knew he was the voice. He was not the word. He was the voice. Jesus is the one mightier than him. John wasn't worthy to stoop and loosen the thongs on his sandals. You know, my friends, I have a little uh, plaque in my office that I look at every single day. Father Zubabuler gives them out to all the priests of the diocese. It has a, a mirror on this plaque, and at the beginning, it says, at the top, it says, Father Nobody. And at the bottom, it says, 
he must increase, I must decrease. Of course, quoting St. John the Baptist. I try to be that father nobody. You know, John the Baptist knew his baptism was symbolic. He, he knew to the core of his being that Christ's baptism was life-altering, that it is transformative because it is done with the Spirit. This prophecy was fulfilled at Pentecost, the birth of the church. And we, my friends, are so fortunate beneficiaries of this grace, for we are a new creation. Our guilt was expiated in baptism, and over and over and over again, it is expiated through the sacrament of mercy in the confessional. We have received double for all of our sins. My friends, God has come, and he has saved his people. We are his people. We are chosen. We are recreated in Christ through grace, and he desires to comfort, to comfort his people. Yet perhaps we are suffering in our own exiles now. Perhaps you are in the desert. You're in the desert in a lonely place. Or maybe you just feel like you're just wandering aimlessly and seem lost. Well, the Lord desires your loneliness and your aimlessness to end here right now. You know, I was meditating as I do every year when I see this. Of course, there's no uh, punctuation in uh, Hebrew, but did you notice the moving colon? You know, in the gospel, it references the same verse in Isaiah, but the colon is in a different place. In the gospel, we read, a voice cries out in the desert, colon, prepare the way of the Lord. Perhaps the church is reminding us that John went into the desert. He went into the desert for a purpose. He wanted to purify the nation of Israel. He did this by uh, denying himself many of the worldly goods. He denied himself of many comforts, and he prayed for the people in the desert. And he called them to that same purification. The colon comes. It says, a voice cries out in the desert. Colon. But you know, when we see it in Isaiah, the first reading, it says, a voice cries out. Colon. In the desert, prepare the way of the Lord. Perhaps Holy Mother Church is also telling us today to invite the Lord into those desert places of our hearts, minds, and souls. Those places of sadness, those places of loneliness, those places of perhaps aimlessness. The Lord wants to be in all of these places. Prepare a way for him to come there. Today, we are reminded that we have experienced his love and mercy and are encouraged to rely more on him, to trust him and his plan, to allow him to guide us, his will, not our wills be done. Today, we are being called to embrace our Advent journeys in this season of hope, while, of course, also recognizing our need to repent to embrace our desire to do hunger and thirst for righteousness, to embrace our desire for true freedom and our desire for the promised land in heaven. 
We embrace our identity today as the chosen people, the chosen people with an inheritance, eternal life, to embrace the grace of our baptism where he dwells within us. My friends, if you are feeling none of that, what do you have to lose? Just invite him into your heart and mind right now. Invite the God of love and mercy to overtake your heart and mind. Invite him in while you're sitting here in this holy mass. What have you got to lose? You have everything to gain. Adam, Advent is a new beginning, a time when we are called to reevaluate our lives and with Peter to ask an important question. What sort of person do I want to be? Please, God, a beloved son or daughter of the Heavenly Father. Please, God, a disciple of Jesus Christ, a witness. So I'll end by saying something, you know, referring to uh, John Paul the Great's quote, which says, Jesus Christ is the answer to the question posed by every human life. He goes on to say, and the love of Christ compels us to share that good news with everyone. My friends, let's invite someone to join us on this beautiful journey of hope during this Advent season so that they too can be transformed by the love and mercy of the incarnation at Christmas. Be that voice in somebody's desert and may God be praised. Amen.